You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Our sermon text this morning comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has come among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. This is God's word. Well, good morning, King's Cross Church, and welcome to 2024, and welcome to Colossians. The shortest letter written to the smallest church and packed full of Jesus. Um, look forward to this and excited about this opportunity. I want to ask if you would, before we get started, join me in prayer that God would lead us, that his spirit would fill us, and that he would teach us uh, in this important letter. So let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that you give us this opportunity every week to join together like this around your word. God, I'm grateful for the letter that Paul, you inspired Paul to write to the Colossians, and I'm thankful for what it teaches us and shows us about you and your grace and your kindness, Lord, and God, what it looks like to be a faithful brother and sister in Christ. Lord, I ask that uh, this morning, as in every Sunday morning and every day on forward, we would continue to learn and grow, and that Jesus would fill us and work through us and make us look more like him. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So the letter to the Colossians, to the faithful brothers and sisters at a little town called Colossae. And when I first started to uh, title this, I was just going to go so simple as meet the Colossians because, you know, I'm real creative and it's the Colossians and we just want to meet them and learn who they are. But as uh, I got into the beginning of this introduction and reading of Paul addressing the Colossian church, uh, it began to stand out to me the things that he was addressing. And I wanted us to take an opportunity to walk through this early part. It's going to be a lot of stuff. If you're one of those guys who like history and ancient uh, kind of um, people groups and history and things that are happening, I might not, I might touch a little bit there and make you feel like excited to hear cool stuff you want to study more on, uh, but I think that's all important context for what we begin to see unfold throughout the entire letter that Paul writes. Uh, this is written, of course, from Paul. It's addressed from Paul and Timothy to uh, the brothers and sisters who are in the saints in Christ who are at Colossae. That's a little town there in modern-day Turkey. And we read that, we see in the beginning, I'll start in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brothers, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. That's his typical introduction. He tells who he's talking to. He mentions who it's coming from. This is a Greek way of writing letters. 
I don't know if anybody today, do you write manual le letters and send them out by, that's, is that cool? Is that back in style again, like sending a letter to through the post office? Yeah, that's a cool thing, right? <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, I don't like getting emails, so, you know, I don't, I don't format them this way, but it's typical for what we see from Paul. It's helpful because it tells you everything about what you need to know. But what does it tell us about the church? Well, one of the things that's important to know about Colossae, maybe you're not aware of this, because there was this move throughout a period of time, at least in my lifetime, talking about going to plant churches in big cities like Paul did, right? City centers, go in there where all the people are, the movers, the shakers, big cities like Raleigh, right? Um, to go in those places where influencers uh, are located, where uh, things are being made and decisions made, city to city, go in there and plant churches like Paul because then it influences entire regions. Interesting thing about Colossians is Colossae was a city that was not a big city, it was a little small town. And it's not a place that Paul actually ever visited. Uh, it's one of those reverberations from Paul planting in a local town nearby. Uh, we don't have a date for when Colossae was founding, but as early as like Xerxes of Persia time, around 480 BC, we have Herodotus, a Greek historian, who referred to Colossae as a great city of Phrygia. Like it was this big deal. And actually, it all revolved around location, location, location. That's why it grew. You guys, if you ever want to get into real estate, maybe you think you can afford to buy some in the next decade, uh, you will find that location of where it's located, the place it is, is important. In Colossae, that's why they benefited. They were on a main east-west road from Ephesus to the east. Anybody who was traveling west would have entered what's called the Lycus Valley and come up on Colossae first. Travelers like Paul and his company traveled that road, even if they didn't stop in Colossae. They could continue westward on to Laodicea and even go 100 miles on to Ephesus. There's a letter written to Ephesus. There's a church there. And even on 1,000 to 1,200 miles further to go on to Rome. So this main roadway passed through Colossae. It provided resources <clears throat> to make this city great. The Lycus River ran right next to Colossae. Is there this? I, don't, I have this right here on the map. I could probably show you. There you go. Look at this. This is fun. All right, so I talk about it being a small town. There's Ephesus on the coast. This is the Lycus Valley here. And if you guys are familiar, whenever a city doesn't show up on a map, it's not that big. What you don't notice is, maybe you do, you can't find Colossae right now. <laughs> there it is. Okay, see Ephesus on the corner? It's on the, right on this river right here. Hierapolis and Laodicea. They're also mentioned uh, in this letter. It's kind of a, the triangle, if you will. You guys know, just saying the, the ancient triangle. All right, so li literally it was, they were closely associated. And it says later in this letter that, uh, that it's likely that Epaphras, this guy who was a missionary, was supported by a collection of churches in those three cities. Okay, so, so they joined together to fund this guy's mission trip. And when we see this ancient city, Colossae, in 480 BC, it's talked about as being big. Lots of pasture land for grazing sheep, so there was abundance of wool to support a garment industry. The Lycus River had a deposits of chalk that came up on the side that was good for dyeing clothes. So this could have been a place with high fashion. Who knows? 480 BC, this is where you came to get all the gear. But then, as we move forward in history, we find a guy named Strabo, who's about 20 years before Paul, who lists Colossians among the small towns. So something happened. 
One of the things we know did happen is that Rome made Laodicea, they changed the road systems, and they made Laodicea what, what is essentially a regional capital. Okay? So when Laodicea became a place for government and when the roadways made it an intersecting location, all of a sudden all the commerce, all the trade, all the banking, all the prosperity moved over to Laodicea away from Colossae. Heropolis also was known for its mineral baths. So that's where people would go there. Both of them grew. Both of them became growing towns. But Colossae was kind of more like a former boom town. If you traveled out through the U.S., maybe you see the factory that used to be there. And now you've got empty buildings, less people. Matter of fact, it was, not, it was only within several years that people were still not very much interested in, in, in doing archaeological digs. There's nothing to find. Just a little tell of farmland, people having grazing cattle around. But they did uncover, I think, a few houses. And we know that in that area, they may have had as many as three house churches potentially in Colossae. And those three house churches, between the three of them, it's estimated that you could fit about 15 people in each one, so maybe about 45. Paul had never visited. Matter of fact, he writes in this letter that he wants to come visit them. And he says he found out about them by a guy named Epaphras, our dearly loved and fellow servant. You see it in verse 7. Epaphras was likely a local boy. He was a local, local Colossae boy. He had possibly traveled over to uh, Ephesus. And Paul is doing his years in Ephesus preaching to crowds. He wouldn't have taken that long in Colossae. And he's setting up churches and ministries. And Epaphras is probably visiting the big city. If any of you are from a small town, that's where you go for all the shopping, right? Yeah. My wife grew up out and uh, went to a school called Fort Defiance out near Weir's Cave. Ever heard of that in Virginia? If you wanted to go shopping, you want to do all the big city stuff, you went to Harrisburg, Harrisonburg, Virginia. <laughs> so in this case, Epaphras is probably visiting Ephesus, and he meets Paul, and he meets the church, and he gets discipled, and he begins to grow, and he begins to learn. And guess what he wants to do? Hey, I got all my family and friends back in Colossae. They haven't heard about this yet. And so he goes back, and he brings the gospel to him. And the thing that's really important to consider as we look at this is that even though it's a small town church, Paul writes a letter to him. Even though it's not many believers in this little city, Paul takes the time to encourage them, to correct some issues, to talk and speak directly to them. And he does it, I believe, because of how he addresses them, because they are faithful brothers and sisters. And he wants to see them continue in faith. Look at how he talks about them in verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about the hope and the word of truth, the gospel, and has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. So Paul talks immediately and says, your faithful brothers and sisters. And why does he say that? Well, first he says it because I've heard of your faith in Christ. It's where they're placing their faith. That these brothers and sisters are settled in their faith in Christ Jesus. And not only they are putting their faith in Christ Jesus, but they're faithful brothers and sisters because he's heard of their love for all the saints. 
that as faithful brothers and sisters, they not only love Jesus, but they love all the other saints. And he's heard about it. Beyond that, he also hears that their lives are bearing fruit. Look at verse six. It is the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. What? Just as it has among you. We're hearing that the gospel is bearing fruit among you. You are bearing fruit. That the gospel is growing among you. They're faithful brothers and sisters who Paul writes and admonishes because he hears of their faithfulness to Christ. But why did he write the letter? That's the next question. Why did he write the letter? He wrote the letter because, well, let me change just a little of the wording here. Church growth matters. Right? And when I say that, this might be a tiny church, a small town church, but it's still God's people. And we can start to believe when we're a church who wants to see the gospel go forth, we can start to believe that growth is actually equal to numbers. We can start to believe that growth is equal to new ministries started. We can start to believe that growth is equal to new gospel community groups. We can start to believe that growth equals more children's activities. But what we can't get consumed by is believing that any of that's true. We can't be distracted to believe that the indicators, these can be indicators of growth, but the indicators are not the mission. And when Paul looked at this church, he probably likely said, you know, you might send out some missionaries, but I'm concerned about your growth. And he heard about their faith in Christ. In verse chapter one, I'm gonna ink into the next uh, sermon that we're gonna do next week. But in verse 10, he says, why did I write to you? And this is this. I heard of your faith in Christ. I heard of your love for the saints. I heard of the bearing fruit and growing among you. And in verse 10 of this same verse, he says, well, I'm gonna start in verse nine, actually. Since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. And we are asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, continuing to bear fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of God. Do you see this? I heard you're bearing fruit and growing. I want you to bear fruit and grow. I've heard about your faithfulness. I want you to continue to be faithful. I've heard about your love for Christ, I want to see you continue to follow and have faith in Christ. So what is it that Paul suggests throughout the letter is going to help them continue to bear fruit and grow? And this is where we're going to land for uh, the rest of this time. Is to see continue bearing fruit and growing first in this letter by grounding their faith in Christ. By grounding their faith, or I'm sorry, I put that here. That's different. Strengthen would be the right word. Sorry. My letter, mine don't, don't match. Strengthen their faith in Christ. He wants to strengthen their faith in Christ. We see that right away in the very uh, same chapter one in verses 15 through 20 when Paul breaks out into a hymn about Christ. We heard reference to this by Micah. We heard reference to this as Aaron this morning where he goes from saying, I want to encourage you to grow and bear fruit. I want to see your life flourish in the gospel. And the very important centerpiece of that is going to be Jesus himself. Like I've heard that you have faith in Christ. Don't lose that, but strengthen that. The, the, the hymn itself is often talked about 
as being written in a very poetic way, the way it's structured, almost like it's a song of the time. And it focuses wholly on the centrality of Jesus, the supremacy of Christ over everything and all things. And that's where Paul starts with this Colossians church. He says, I want to see you ground your faith in Christ. And he continues on in chapter two that we read here. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And brothers and sisters, as with Colossae for us, we can get so distracted by looking at all the other options, all the other philosophies, all the other things that might distract us away from Christ as central. And Paul wants to remind us as the Colossians that Christ is central to our faith. And I I fall into the same distraction. Sometimes I want to get talking about the nuances of what's going on in the history here and what do people say about this and that and the other. And I can and enjoy and it's helpful and it's good. But if we lose sight of the fact of what God did for his people was done wholly in Christ, we lose sight of the gospel. Paul wants them to continue to bear fruit and he wants them to do that by strengthening their faith in Christ alone. And when he does that in verse 15 through 20, on through the beginning of chapter 2, he lays that as the foundation for where he moves next. Because not only he, he's not only just writing this letter because he's saying, hey, I just want to make sure you're stronger, but he's also gotten feedback that there's some challenges to the gospel itself in Colossae. Uh, it's what's considered often with Paul an occasional letter. Okay, it doesn't mean he occasionally writes letters. It means he writes for a particular reason. And in this case with Colossians, he's heard word from Epaphras. There might be some other false religions or other philosophies that are creeping in and trying to squeeze out Jesus. And so what do we see? When we move on into the next part of this, and he's not only wanting to ground their faith alone in Christ, not to strengthen their faith alone in Christ, but he wants them now to stand against any false religions and philosophies. Now, we don't have any particular really clear idea, because remember I mentioned it's kind of a small town, so there's, they, we only have a lot of assumptions about the kind of religious things that were happening in Colossae, because there's no real evidence of a mix of what Paul talks about here being some specific religion itself. It seems to be a bunch of different effects. Now, that's not uncommon, because being a, a city that's on a main road, there's something called syncretism which we might try to act like we're like beyond that now, but we have today, if you're not aware of that, syncretism, where outside ideas and religious faiths or, or practices begin to blend together because, hey, you know, I like that I do this, and that's pretty cool. I like the way you set up that little uh, shrine. I want to do that. Uh, and all of a sudden, oh, you like to fast on this day? Oh, this is the festival that you do? I'll participate in that. And you have a hodgepodge of different ideas and things that, as Paul references here, have the appearance of making you look holy, but do nothing to your soul or for your soul. And so there's some example in here where it seems there's some Jewish rites that they're being tempted to follow after. That would have been common. These are the likely in Colossae had some kind of a temple or some kind of a, um, a um, they likely had, what's that? Synagogue. 
I was going to say something else. I don't know why. Synagogue, my brain got stuffed. They likely had a synagogue in, in, in the town. And, and in that synagogue, uh, they would have had some Jewish rites going on. So they had some familiarity that Christianity uh, came from this Jewish tradition. So others were probably continuing to encourage them to follow after those practices. Maybe they believed, I'm going to become a Christian, so I'm going to go all the way Jewish. Okay. There also be, seems to be some kind of asceticism. If you're not familiar with that, the idea that I'm going to be more holy because I deny myself of some certain thing, okay? That doesn't mean that fasting is necessarily uh, uh, ascetic in terms of being a negative thing. But if you are leaning into that as the, the source of your holiness or the source of your religiosity, it become, can become a problem. And so he's talking against this idea. There's also some pagan practices of worshiping angels, some other random stuff happening going on in this town. And what Paul's central encouragement here among all this is probably well summed up in verse 8 where he says, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. Again, remember, central grounding of their faith where he wants them strengthened is that they would know the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ, where all treasures, wisdom, and knowledge are located, where they're hidden. And now he's telling them, do not be taken captive by all these other empty deceits and philosophies rather than Christ. Remember, this is a small town church. This is a small letter, but it is packed more than any other book about the fullness of God and the fullness of Christ. Like it's jammed. And for us, it's an encouragement because it's a reminder and a challenge because we're not in such a tiny town as this, though we may have a gathering here that's not breaking records. But God cares about our faithfulness and whatever size group we gather. God cares about our faithfulness individually in our homes. And God cares whether we are standing fast on Christ or being whipped around by every vain philosophy and false religion, and distracted, and believing that there's some holiness to be found, some better spirituality to be found, and some other practice rather than Christ. And that's, that's, a, that's a slight of the hand of the enemy to move in on us. To find an opening where maybe this philosophy does make sense. Maybe there's an idea here that could lead me to better holiness, to improve myself. As we make, I don't know, maybe you guys don't do this. We come to the new year, you guys making resolutions? Is that still happening? Are we still doing this? Are we giving up on resolutions in 2024? Are we kind of like, yeah, we got through 2020 and we're going, we can't claim what this year is going to look like. Let's just, let's just go through it. Um. You know, we can make all kinds of uh, better, new year, new me. I don't know. Do we say this still? I've just got all these. I'm old. Um, try to better our th ourselves through all means. And it seems like in Colossians, that's what's being challenged and presented to them. But Paul is encouraging and even warning them. Warning them that their faith must be firmly rooted in Christ alone. Because when you come up to any other faith or religion in this world, I will tell you, they're happy to talk about God. But we begin to deviate when we talk about Christ. We begin to 
change our views when we talk about who Jesus is. And, and markedly, without exception almost, there is not a faith that doesn't tell you who Jesus is, at least from their perspective. So we have to talk about where our faith is founded, and it's in Christ. Finally, the last thing he's encouraging him in throughout this text, and I'm doing a big cursory overview uh, of, of the entire book in some respects because we're not going to deep dive into each of these passages. But the final thing he continues to encourage him to do is to continue in love with all the saints. And now as I read that out loud, it sounds interesting to say that he's continuing in love with them. He's not in love with all the saints. He's continuing to live in love toward all the saints. Who did my notes? Anyway, sorry. This is, we try to keep it loose here. It's 2024. We want to make it look like we really don't know what we're doing, but we kind of do. So these notes are up here. Continue in love towards all the saints. Paul's encouragement to Colossians is that as you have shown me so far that your love towards Christ, your faith in Christ, and your love for all the saints continue in that way. Verse 12 through 15 of chapter 3, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Notice he's continuing to, to challenge them to take these traits. It's a whole section here at the back end where Paul has taken from Christ is central, don't be distracted by vain philosophies, and now live like this. And in this beginning portion, he says, take the old man. It's something he refers to. The old man, all the things that you want to live in this world as, all the temptations to live evil in this world, uh, sexual immorality is mentioned, uh, other, other vain temptations are mentioned. Uh, you know what, to be honest with you, might even disobedience to parent might be in there. I always find that's an interesting highlight that he has all these really grievous sins and he's like, and disobeying your parents. And I'm like, kids, Paul says that's really important. No, I'm sorry. I don't hang on their head. You don't find that as entertaining as I do. Okay, so in this particular case, he says, put off the old man, get rid of all that stuff. And then he says, put on the new man, meaning this is a new way in which you live. This is in Christ. And he specifically here anchors it in the Lord because as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Your life should be marked differently and uniquely. And 14 puts the nail in it, if you will. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. See, these are words of affection. He's not just encouraging them to be holy, be good, do the right thing, and go on living your life. But it's a, it's a community he's drawing together. And, and, I, and it strikes me that this is so significant because, honestly— in the small town churches are some of the most scandalous, backbiting, gossiping places I've ever heard of. And we could, we could so fall into that. Be a community that doesn't love like Jesus does, that doesn't forgive like he forgives. Like, like that is, that's not just an example set out for us, but it's something we are empowered to do by his spirit. And if he's in you, you can live that way. But so often we see others and even are tempted in our own life to not live with this kind of fruit. 
to have compassion, humility, patience. I, I've spent the last few weeks, it's my tradition during the holidays. Uh, I go, I take a trip, and then I have some allergic reaction, and then I don't get rid of it for like a month, and, and here we are. So uh, I've got, you know, the Kleenex boxes were all over the house for, you know, the holidays. It's like, happy birthday to me, and can I have some Afrin, um, that kind of thing. So I get grumpy <laughs> when I'm sick. <laughs> Who is that judgy? <laughs> Who knows me? Um, and I need passages like this. <laughs> I do. Patience. Like it's not. It's not my family's fault. That. I mean, if anything, this is my thorn in the flesh. God's so determined. Uh, I'll live with that. If this is the worst I've got, then I'll take it. Um, but in the moment. <laughs> I, I don't want to show that kind of grace. And, and there's so many ways that you and I can take the opportunities of life to make excuses on why, yeah, yeah, I know what the fruit of the Spirit is, but do you know what I'm going through right now? I don't think, I don't think the saints are ever given that. Like, like Jesus on the cross is like, do you know what I'm going through right now? He showed perfect love. He laid down his life for us, and I'm, I'm irritated I have to stand up because I have a headache. And Paul's encouragement to the Colossian church is one I hope we take to heart, that if we're going to continue to bear fruit and grow in the gospel, and to see the gospel bear fruit and grow among us, that we have to ground our faith in Christ. And that we have to, in grinding our, grounding our faith, to strengthen our faith in Christ, we need to stand firm against all creeping false religions and philosophies and be willing to talk to one another when it comes up. I'm just telling you. Like, I'm not going to come up with an example. I mean, off the cuff, that always ends poorly. Um, but there are ways in which we can be wise for one another and vigilant and we can look out for ways that the enemy is tempting us to take our confidence and strength and foundation in Christ and put it somewhere else. And if we're going to continue to see the gospel bear fruit and grow among us, we need to continue showing the love of Christ among all the saints. To love one another, to bear with one another, to be patient with one another, to forgive one another, and above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And that's Colossians. But there's so much more we're going to dive into over the next weeks. Because as Paul unpacks this for, Colossian, for the Colossian church, my hope and prayer is that we are able to see more clearly the beauty of the Christ he proclaims. And that he makes us look more like this. So would you pray with me? Father, in your kindness, you've shown such great love to us by showing in this Colossians letter the depth of of the mystery and the knowledge and wisdom that you have in Christ. And God, I pray that as we unpack this book, as we read through the letter that Paul penned so many years ago, um, that the freshness of your spirit would rest on us and work in us to change us to look more like him. 
God, thank you for your kindness even today and over the new year. Thank you for all that came, that are here today with us this morning and all those who may be traveling or visiting with other family and friends continuing into this year. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to encourage us, build us up, strengthen us, Lord, but above all that your gospel would bear fruit among us and grow in us and through us so that Jesus would be glorified and lifted up and that we could with Paul talk about the centrality and supremacy of Christ in our life and see so many more come to the foot of the cross to worship him. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.